you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Hey, welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. This one is episode 83, and I am Oliver Banks, your host and your guide to the world of retail transformation. Now, you know just as well as I do that... Hang on a second. It looks like we're going to be interrupted here. Stand by. Breaking news just in. Retail Transformation Live is to return. The virtual event hosted by Oliver Banks was a massive success when it launched in March earlier this year, and now it's back and coming on July 9th. Stay subscribed to this podcast for more news on Retail Transformation Live. So there we have it. My virtual event, Retail Transformation Live, is back. And it's all happening on the 9th of July. So block that day out in your diary right now and make sure that you don't miss out on all of the fun. Some really rave reviews from the last time we hosted Retail Transformation Live back in March. So make sure you stay subscribed to this podcast to stay up with the latest news. And I'll look forward to joining you on the 9th of July at Retail Transformation Live. And it's all online, of course. Now, if you were at the first one, you will absolutely remember our closing keynote speaker, Steve Dennis, who rocked the virtual stage, talking all about remarkable retail. And hey, guess what? That's exactly what we're going to be diving into today. Now, if you don't know Steve Dennis, then you're in for a treat. Steve is a consultant, a keynote speaker. He's a senior contributor over at Forbes and now an author all looking at retail, how it's evolving, how it's changing, and is able to pinpoint exactly what's going on in the retail market with some incredible accuracy and honesty as well. But he's not just an observer. Steve has absolutely been there and done it. He's held senior roles at both Sears and Neiman Marcus, with a particular focus on strategy and bringing together the different channels into a coherent proposition for customers. And now Steve provides strategic advisory services to retailers as well as fashion and luxury businesses. His book, which is only just out, is called Remarkable Retail, How to Win and Keep Customers in the Age of Digital Disruption. And it's absolutely relevant, even now, right in the middle of the corona pandemic, as you're going to find out in this discussion. So I'm really excited to dive into this one with Steve. He's a great guy. And this is a great conversation. It's part one of my conversation, actually. So remember to subscribe and catch part two, which is coming out next week. Show notes from today are over at obandco.uk slash 83. And now for our conversation with Steve Dennis. Here we go. So today on the Retail Transformation Show, I'm delighted to welcome Steve Dennis. Steve, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a real pleasure to have you here. And we're here celebrating your new book, as mentioned. But also, we're going to be diving into what being remarkable really means in this socially distanced world that we find ourselves in today. 
it has been a really challenging time for retail. That kind of goes without saying. We've got some stores and some categories that are really going gangbusters, lots of trade and really helping customers out. Meanwhile, around the world, we've got other categories that unfortunately are shut up for business and having to rely on e-commerce or maybe nothing at all. Right. Now, Steve, you've been talking about the death of the middle for quite a while, certainly a long time before coronavirus ever hit. But right now, it's not really just the middle who are seeing the challenges. It's everyone. How are you seeing the retail market? Sure. If you came into the pandemic with an unremarkable value proposition and a weak balance sheet, uh, you're particularly in trouble. So that's absolutely more characteristic about these retailers. I talk about being stuck in the middle. But I think what we're seeing right now, I've talked about it and I wrote a Forbes post about this, kind of the five mega forces or key factors that we're seeing in this in this post or near post-pandemic world. And the five are bifurcation, acceleration, contraction, reallocation, and consolidation. And and so what I mean by these, the bifurcation piece is a little bit about this idea that we've seen success at either end of the spectrum, largely the value-based retailers mm-hmm. and uh, the more experiential high-end retailers, and then little success in the middle. So that that's really just being accelerated by virtue of this of this crisis. The second one, acceleration, hits on a lot of fronts. I think a lot of the technology trends, like buy online, pick up in store. Uh, the move to online shopping from physical shopping, et cetera, all that's being accelerated. Yep. The one that's probably the most profound is contraction. Mm. Uh, just so many categories are being hit so dramatically by virtue of the pandemic. In some cases, that's driven by sheer economic factors. Um, you know, I live in the United States. Unemployment here is over 20%. And obviously, people are just very concerned about spending money when they don't know what the future holds or they simply can't afford to. Sure. So that's that's caused a big pullback in, in spending. And then um, the fourth one, reallocation, is really how people are spending. And when you think about just the sheer amount of people that are working from home, right, that has, that has a whole impact on which categories people are spending money on, more office supplies, more casual clothing. Absolutely. And so forth. That's a trend that could continue after this, you know, as more companies start to think about work from home and actually, you know what, hey, we can do this. We don't all need to be sat in an office block in a city center or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's one of the key variables. I mean, certainly we hope that people will start to go back to work, that the economic uh, situation throughout the world will improve, and that will give people both more money and more confidence to spend but yeah, from from a fundamental underlying shift around how people are going to spend their money and where they're going to spend it, if work from home persists anywhere close to what we're seeing today, then then that's a very big, big macro change that will affect retail uh, quite a lot. Yeah. Um, the, the fifth factor, just briefly, is is consolidation, which is really this idea that the strong will get stronger and the weak will get weaker, and in many cases go away completely, whether that's retail chains or developers, suppliers, et cetera, uh, because I think they're just, there's such, so many forces that are so extreme that unfortunately many players are not going to make this, make it through this at all. Or if they make it through, they will be 
sort of shells of their their uh, former selves. Mm. And that's, of course, going to be a, a sad day for many people across the world, depending on you know what what position they play in in any given retailer, whether they're a customer, whether they're a loyal fan, whether they're, of course, a team member. Absolutely, yeah. So those are great points. Those sort of five forces. The Forbes article was fantastic. Everyone, if you have not seen Steve's Forbes article, I'm going to put a link to that on the show notes page, which you can find today at obandco.uk slash 83. So head over there and you can check out that article and it dives into those five forces in more detail. So Steve, considering those forces, those five forces, in particular, the first one, bifurcation, how are retailers standing out right now? How do you not end up in the middle, essentially? <laughs> yeah, you know, this phenomenon, and I, and I go, to in, go into this in quite a lot more detail in the book, but I, I've been noticing this phenomenon of bifurcation for probably close to 10 years. And what I mean by that is that we've seen success at either end of the spectrum. If you think about at one end of the spectrum, you've got retailers, whether they're online or predominantly brick and mortar, that are very focused on value, convenience, in many cases, large assortments, and so forth. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, a strong value equation at the other end of the spectrum, retailers that are either more service experiential, have unique product, unique service, some generally speaking, more upscale positioning, and that this middle ground has been very difficult to stake out. And I think you know, as I said, I've seen this phenomenon for many, many years. And as we just talked about it, all of this is being accelerated mm. by the pandemic. I think fundamentally for retailers to stand out, you know, the more obvious thing is you have to have a very clear sense of who your customer is and how you are bringing really strong value to them. But for the most part, you have to pick a lane that this, I think this middle ground of being a little bit of everything to everybody or having good prices, but not the best or having somewhat different product, but not nothing really special or remarkable. As I say, it's just really untenable. Mm. And so if you're one of these retailers that are stuck in the middle, you have to make a pretty big, big shift to either end of the spectrum. The problem with trying to go to the more value side of the equation for a lot of retailers is that that's mostly about price and efficiency. And if you don't have the best cost position, if you don't have some pretty phenomenal supply chain and overall you know, operating low cost and, and efficiencies, you're, you're probably going to be engaged in a race to the bottom that you can't possibly win. Mm. So most retailers, it's really going to be more about how to be special, not necessarily big, how to find a very specific set of customers and really meet those customers' needs in an intensely relevant and remarkable way. Sure, that makes sense. And I think the grocery market, you know, my background was in, was in grocery, and I think that's really showing that whole trend up in a really great way. Seeing the discounters down at one end, you know, as you absolutely say, really lean operations, really focused on making sure that it's very easy and convenient for customers to shop and obviously great prices as well. And actually, you know what, the quality is kind of there as well, increasingly, mm -hmm. yeah. which is a particular challenge for the, the middle ground retailers. And then at the upper end, you've, of course, got the sort of more luxurious retailers who are doing slightly more interesting things, a wider range, more exciting opportunities for, for buying different foods that you just don't get <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum. Right. 
You know, in a way, it's a very fundamental thing to ponder. But if you're asking a customer to pay a little bit more money or invest a little bit more time or endure a little bit more hassle, uh, there has to be a really good reason. And most of these retailers stuck in the middle, they just don't have a really good reason for the customer to invest that extra time or money or hassle factor. Mm. So, so I think it's very basic at that level. And then it's just really been exacerbated over the years by just an explosion of, of alternative choices. And so the customer's got many, many more ways to get their needs met. And there's no reason for them to, to really settle for, for just average or, or even very good performance on the part of a retailer. Indeed. And let's just dive into that word average. You know, sometimes it's referred to as boring or mediocre. I'm very much of the belief, Steve, that no retailer wakes up. I'm talking about the people in the retailers here, of course. They wake up and go, ah, I'm a really average retailer. Right. I want to create some really average, boring, mediocre products. How has this happened? What's caused companies that have been successful maybe for, you know, many, many, many years? How have they suddenly become boring and mediocre? Yeah, well, you know, I, I sometimes get criticized for talking about the death of boring and, and people saying kind of what you, what you did, which is <laughs> you never have been successful being boring or mediocre and nobody wants to be, as, as you said. So, so some of that is, is deliberately a little provocative or, or hyperbolic. But the, the point that I've been making over the years and, and tease out in the book is that you used to be able to get away with being just okay. Not, not that you were trying to be okay, but the pressure for you to be really remarkable wasn't necessarily there. And the reason is that if you go back certainly 20 years ago, but I would argue even more recently, for the most part, the choices consumers had were fairly constrained. Mm. Uh, They were constrained by geography in many cases. So if you lived in a big city, you had maybe a fair number of good retailers in town. But if you lived in a smaller city or the countryside, you were stuck with whatever retailers you happen to have. Choice of one. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes the choice of one. And also, you could only buy from that particular retailer uh, when they happen to be open, what they happen to have in stock, et cetera, Mm. et cetera, et cetera. So digital disruption has taken things that were once scarce in terms of choice, information, et cetera, and made them abundant and widely accessible. So as we've moved to this kind of every, everything now kind of world where uh, you can buy just about anything you want from anywhere in the world at any time, and there's also incredible pricing on, or a pressure on pricing from all these choices, you, you just can't get away with being average or even in some cases, very, very good. Mm. You won't even get the customer's attention, uh, much less get them to buy from you and become profitable, loyal customers. So I think digital disruption has created this world of abundance where what was once scarce no longer is and put pressure on creating scarcity around what you can do for the customer uniquely in a really powerful, emotionally connected way. So I think that the retailers that, as I often say, basically watched the last 20 years happen to them, I don't think they appreciated the degree to which the environment they were operating in was changing, 
the degree to which power shifted to the consumer mm. and how easy it was for, for things that were once fairly sticky or stable or whatever term you want to use, um, how, how that's been eroded. Sure. So that's that's almost, they've just become middle of the line, just almost through, I suppose, natural evolution, normalizing themselves against the rest of the market in a way. Right. So let's just take a slightly different angle here then, Steve. Obviously, you've just written and launched your book, Remarkable Retail. Many congratulations on that. Thank you. And in there, it's a great read. In there, you've got a framework of eight essential elements of Remarkable Retail that a retailer can use to help them overcome that challenge of being normal, boring, average, mediocre, middle of the line. Tell us a bit more about those eight essential elements, Steve. Sure. Well, so I've been working for a number of years, both back in my senior uh, operating roles at, at retailers, and but mostly over the last 10 years or so as a consultant and, and speaker and analyst, trying to distill down what are those essential elements of a compelling or remarkable strategy. And you know, it took me a while to to piece those together, to validate them from uh, my own work as well as looking at other other retailers. But what I found was that the the eight, I think, do a pretty good job across most retail categories of defining those essential elements that must be at least at a uh, reasonably proficient level for retailers to be competitive. And then there are others that really drive differentiation. So the first six, which are digitally enabled, human-centered, harmonized, mobile, personal, and connected, are in many cases becoming almost table stakes, I think, for, for retailers to remain competitive. That is, if they aren't reasonably proficient at them, or in some cases really good, mm. they're probably going to lose ground. And then the last two, which I call memorable and radical, I think are often those essentials that provide the best opportunity to to really differentiate yourself in the marketplace and and perhaps create a maybe not insurmountable lead but at least a, a lead that can help um, sustain you and propel you forward. Sure, that makes sense. And help me just understand in particular those last couple, memorable and radical. What what do we mean by by those? Obviously, we could take the words and have a good guess, but. Right. Yeah. Fill out some of the details for us, Steve, can you, please? Sure. Well, so so one thing I'll mention briefly is that when I talk about remarkable retail, there's really two pieces to that. There's probably the more common way of thinking about remarkable, which is, you know, very distinctive, unusual, noticeable, etc. Mm. The way that I really mean it, which ties very much to memorable, is that and it's very much borrowed or stolen, you might say, from, from Seth Godin's book, Purple Cow. But the idea of remarkable is that literally the customer will remark upon it. It's this premise that the brand stories that spread, uh, that people want to tell to others are the ones that ultimately win. Mm. So if you're going to be literally remarkable, you have to, I would argue, create a very positive, memorable experience on the part of what you deliver to the customer. So memorable is something that really is intensely customer relevant, is unique, is proprietary to your brand, uh, has an authentic brand voice, but really creates some sort of wow 
experience and emotion with the customer mm. where it allows them to tell a powerful story about themselves and ideally want to tell that story to others. Mm. So that's what Memorable is about. It's interesting because we've actually been thinking about that in the world of retail for a number of years. If you think about that net promoter score question, right. are you going to reverse someone? That's the very essence of it. It's yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It's not, it's not really, I mean, I, you know, one thing I joke around about and uh, is that I don't, I don't think, you know, there's any one unique idea in this book. What I've, what I've tried to do is synthesize the best work of others in many cases. And so some of this is very much from Seth's work, but net promoter score absolutely is embedded in this uh, Simon Sinek's work and mm. start with why embedded in this, um, you know, what I've tried to do is really boil it down, give it my own take. Uh, but yeah, some of these ideas certainly have been around for a while. Hopefully I've, I'm applying them in a, in a new and interesting way. Absolutely. Just as a little aside, I used to be in engineering and um, when I was at university, I was studying this thing called TRIZ, which was basically the theory of inventive problem solving. And the whole concept behind this TRIZ, which was this Russian methodology, was that there are no new inventions or ideas. Everything has already been created. It's just yeah. painted over in a slightly different guise. And I think that's an always such a really interesting perspective to take into, well, anything in life that actually the solution is already out there. It's just finding a way to connect it and make it relevant for a particular situation. Sure. And, and I think, um, I mean, my own little twist on that, which I, which I talk about a little bit in the book as well, is, is this idea that people buy the story before they buy the product. Mm. Human beings, generally speaking, are not particularly rational uh, <laughs> characters. You know, we don't always pick the most strictly logical thing. We do the thing that makes us feel better or makes us look better to, to other people. And so in many cases, it's not just simply I've invented a better product that functions in a very particular way at a, at a whole new level. It's, it's an interesting pastiche of other things wrapped around some you know, more emotional characteristics. So anyway, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's, the idea of memorable is, is certainly um, quite, quite aligned with some of the underlying forces of why net promoter score is a, is a worthwhile thing to think about. Yep. Super. And, and radical. So radical is, is fundamentally this, this idea of building a culture of experimentation and taking not reckless risk, but, but really developing a set of practices and principles and methodologies and so forth to fundamentally take more risk and experiment more with the premise being that it's just often too hard to figure out through pure analysis and, and long projects, what's going to work, that you have to take a lot of, a lot of turns it bad or whatever analogy you want to use and be able to iterate through those really quickly. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. So actually you continue to stay agile and that's obviously really important right at the moment in the world that we, we find ourselves in right now. I think so. Yeah. As we begin to wrap up today's conversation, Steve, I'm just keen to dive into, I suppose, a bit more of your career. You know, you mentioned it a bit earlier on. You've got a really broad wealth of experience, both in retail and actually also understanding retail. So I'm keen to ask, what's been, I suppose, the best bit of advice that you've received through that career? And how has it helped define you and define Remarkable Retail? 
Well, I'm not sure I can tie my, my first answer to the second. I think the best piece of advice I got was, was essentially some form of, and it was not from somebody who was a Buddhist, but it was probably you know, indirectly related to a very kind of Eastern philosophy principle, which is, is all things are impermanent, uh, you know, that this too shall pass and, and not get too wrapped around the axle, so to speak, about particular situations or or protecting my own ego. I think that's, I guess, to the extent it's informed my career and the book in particular, it's probably trying to approach things with a bit more humility and, and realize that there's a lot we don't know and a lot we're not in control of, but we can certainly be strategic about how we choose to invest our time and and realize that in a lot of cases creativity comes out of having this beginner's mind mm. that sometimes our egos being attached to our expertise gets in the way of us seeing new things and letting go of some of the things that have gotten us to where we got to and i i, I think you know to bring it back a little bit more to the book uh one of the things i quote in the book is is my friend brendan witcher from from forrester who talks about only the last three years of experience counting when it comes to developing strategy. And that also in many cases, uh, those of us that have been in retail a long time, if we don't let go of the things that got us to where we are, um, as we move ahead, we often will make mistakes because a lot of what got many retailers to be successful in the eighties, nineties, and even, you know, <laughs> up until a few years ago, is not relevant as we move ahead. So I don't know. So somewhere in there that this like letting go of control and being open, fundamentally much more open to possibilities and new ways of doing things, I think is uh, probably the thing that served me well. So that was kind of a convoluted answer. I hope it, <laughs> hope it made some sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. It certainly does. And, uh, you know, that whole mentality of this too shall pass as well, which you, you mentioned is obviously a great mindset to have in place right now. Yeah, I, I, I think so. You know, the other, the other uh, thing that I've gotten from a spiritual teacher that I like quite a lot is that, uh, you know, the sun is always shining, even if the, the sky is clouded over. And sometimes we forget that. And, um, mm. and you know, certainly in the moment, uh, and I don't want to diminish at all the, the incredible hardship that so many people are going, going through in, in ways big and small. Mm. But there is always hope and, and uh, the clouds will part at some point. We just don't know exactly when that will, will be. But I mean, I think that's the thing that kind of keeps, keeps me going, that a lot of stuff that I've gotten all worked up about um, over the years uh, often is not worth getting worked up about or um, it is what it is and, and um, you know, we have to make the best of the situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a, a cracking point to end this first part of the conversation so, Steve, thank you very much for, for joining me on this episode and exploring more about your book, Remarkable Retail, How to Win and Keep Customers in the Age of Digital Disruption. It's been really fascinating. Now, next time, Steve, if you're up for it, I'd love to dive into a bit more of the model, a bit more of the framework and really get a bit more actionable so people can take something and, you know, whilst they're waiting for the book to be delivered, they can get in and make things happen. How does that sound? Sounds great. Let's do it. Super. So that was my conversation with Steve Dennis there. A great conversation and loads of insight. 
do make sure you head over to the show notes page at obandco.uk slash 83, where you can find more about those eight essential elements of Remarkable Retail, as well as all of the details that you need to get in touch with Steve, and also read that Forbes article as well. So obandco.uk slash 83. And whilst you're looking at the show notes page, why not sign up for my Retail Transformation Briefing? It's a weekly email that includes all of the top headlines from around the world of retail transformation so you can make sure you stay up to date with the latest insights and innovations going on in the market, along with a selection of curated content and insight reports that you're going to find really super useful to direct your retail transformation through to success. So sign up for my Retail Transformation Briefing on the show notes page at obnco.uk slash 83. And do remember to hit subscribe and rejoin us next time on episode 84, where we'll be continuing the conversation and we'll be diving into some of the essential elements from the framework and exploring what it is you can do to put it into action. I look forward to joining you on the next episode to continue the conversation with Steve Dennis. Bye for now.